0: Um, It's a great pleasure to be here this morning talking to you as part of a series which, if you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, is one of looking at the big picture of the Bible. Um, Some of you may have seen my face on the promo video we did. You might know that I feel quite excited about this. Um, I love the idea that we can take a book that's made up of 66 other books, but written ultimately by one author through many people, and say it's not just about the details of each bit, but actually there is a story that emerges from all of it. And uh, we're working from a particular structure which, depending on how your brain works, will either bless you or confuse you, that everything begins with the same letter. So two weeks ago, we talked about God's good creation, how he creates the world good and humanity very good, and that was called the kingdom pattern. Last week, uh, we had the slightly more sobering choices that mankind made in the kingdom perished, Um, which is about the fall, and we then go on to today, the era of promise, the kingdom promise. We're going to look at that through the call of Abraham. Now, I think we probably need a bit of a a visual illustration. So, with no warning whatsoever, where's Steve Bigu? Yeah, you're always a good game, aren't you? Come uh, come up here please, Steve, if you would. That'd be great. Now, there's been a great deal of research done around the traditional dress of uh, early patriarchs, uh, I haven't read any of it, so we're going to go with the tea towel and the dressing gown cord. Cool. Would, would you mind doing the honours there, Steve? That would be great. Thank you very much. Um, is this the veil of No, this, this, is, this is the, the kind of, ter- not, not really turban. Yeah, like that, that's perfect. Yeah, the nativity look. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Thank you. That's brilliant. Okay, this is, this is Peleg. Okay, and Peleg is, um, for those of you who know your genealogy, one of the descendants of Seth. And uh, his, da- his dad's called Iba. That's where we get Hebrew from, incidentally. Um, and unfortunately, he speaks such an old Proto-Saharan dialect that we can't understand the word he says. But I have got some translations of what he was going to say. So um, <laughs> we'll just, we'll, we'll take this as read that he ascends to those. That's, yeah, yeah, great. Understands what I say, of course. That's different. Okay, I wonder if also I could have a, a representative of perhaps the, the modern generation, not saying anything about you, Steve. Um... <laughs> Zoe, would you mind coming up? That would be great, thank you. Wonderful, because today I'd like to frame the promise of Abraham in terms of what it said um, at the time to the world where Abraham lived and also what it continues to say to us. So, Zoe, here, you're doing a very good job of dressing as a trendy young person in, in today's world. And uh, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> you see why I chose you now, Steve. <laughs> Okay, so I'd like us just to to cast our minds back to the time when we lived before Noah and the Flood. Um, So cast your minds back and and try and, if the coffee's kicked in, try and get your head around what it might have been like, because these days we have a a plethora of information. There's almost too much information, isn't there? And we're we're trying to sift out what's true. But back in the time of Peleg, actually things were quite different. There there wasn't that much information at all. Very, very few writings of any kind an oral tradition, but probably just one oral tradition that your dad, Eber passed down to you and his dad, Sheila, that's a Hebrew person, not an Australian woman, <laughs> um, passed to him. And actually, in this, you, you perhaps have a degree of uncertainty. If you were here last week, you would have heard Steve talking about how there was this promise that was kind of cast aside almost of you know the, this commission to go out and fill the earth. And what, what happened to that? And uh, so questions that in his... Protestant Haran dialect, uh, Peleg here has, are number one, has God given up on us? Now you remember that there was this call go out and fill the earth and subdue it but then mankind went and messed it up. So, in all the traditions that have been passed down, there's a question of perhaps, has God given up on us? We don't see him as often as we used to. My great-great-granddad used to talk with him. I don't know if I have. Okay, then we also have the question of direction. There was a purpose to the world, and the world was perfect, but now things have changed a bit. Where's the world headed? And we also have death now into the world, and sin, and there's wickedness increasing. And I, I don't know, what, we're going to have to switch on those to the other hand. There's another question, will things ever change? Is it just going to be like this forever? And I think these are some of the questions that as he lies under the stars next to the camels looking up, he's going to be thinking, will things ever change? How long do things go on like this? If I can take those back, I think it would be fair to say that in today's modern world, assuming that she's not already a believer, actually these questions might well be Zoe's as well. Has God given up on us? I think that's a, that's a question people still ask today, isn't it? Where's the world headed? If it's not North Korea or the Ebola epidemic or any of the other you know some of the questions around beginning and end of life there's questions people ask about you know where's the world headed and will things ever change thousands of years of mankind trying to better ourselves have we really have we really done it so today these are some of the questions that i think we're going to see answered in this Particular promise. Thanks very much, guys. If you want to go sit down, I might call on you to keep the headdress on if you would, please, Steve, but uh, (laughs) I know you won't mind. Okay, so this is a world of uncertainty. We're thinking about Peleg specifically here. This is a world where people have less knowledge of God than they used to, less intimate knowledge of God. There's, There's fewer guidelines, there's no sense of direction. The world is, if you like, for a better word, adrift in the middle of an ocean, where's it going, what's happening? And into all of this, God, who does not want to remain unknown, who does not want to remain obscure, shows his hand. And he shows that he has a plan, and he reveals something of his character. And there's lots of different ways we could pull out the character that God reveals. I want to particularly look today at his faithfulness. So if you wouldn't mind opening up a Bible to Genesis 12... This is a rather abrupt beginning to the story of Abraham. He does actually occur a couple of verses before, but it really is that abrupt in Scripture. He comes out of nowhere. You've got this genealogy, and suddenly this thing happens with Abraham. God shows himself. The Lord had said to Abraham, "'Go from your country, your people and your father's household, "'to the land I will show you. "'I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. "'I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing.'" I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot is his nephew, by the way, it comes in later. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. So this is the first time we encounter God speaking to Abraham. It's this first promise that he makes. And I'll be drawing on some of the other promises that he makes. In fact, in total, we read of seven specific times that God speaks to Abraham over the course of his life. I'm sure that's indicative of more, but there's certainly seven significant um, passages where you read of God speaking to Abraham, And we'll be drawing on some of those. But the first thing I want to show... About God's faithfulness is that God's faithfulness expands we get it starting even in this passage it starts off with go to the land I will show you but very quickly it's when he gets to Shechem it says I will give you this land actually if we go on further on into the promises to chapter 15 um, you've got Abraham standing on this high ridge of land and God says I will give you everything you can see it's like that moment the Lion King uses, isn't it? You know, Everything you see will be yours. Everything the light touches. That's what he says. It's, it's already gone from go to this land, to I'll give you it, to now everything you can see. And then finally, actually this promise culminates in God saying, I'll give you everything from the river of Egypt, which is basically the border of Egypt today, up to the Euphrates. It's this vast space of land. There's no way that was what he could see when he was standing on that ridge of land. It's much, much more. He says, I'll give that all to you. God's faithfulness expands. It's like that expanding foam. It's not that it increases. It's just that it expands to fill the available space. God can't become more faithful because he's already totally faithful. But his faithfulness expands with the space that's given him. And as Abraham gives him more space and trusts him more, God's faithfulness expands inside it. It's not just the promise of land that expands. It's the scope of it as well. He starts off with, I will show you the land Then I will give you the land. Then I'll give it to your children. And finally, he says, I'm going to make an eternal covenant. I promise to give it to your offspring forever. The scope is expanding as well. And God's blessing expands even when Abraham is unfaithful. I think it would be very easy to to look at it and say, well, look, Abraham, he, he lived rightly. And that's why God was faithful to him. And the answer is no, absolutely not. There's a, an example, well in fact there's two examples, where Abraham behaves shamefully, frankly. And uh, you, may, you may know of them. He goes down to Egypt and his wife, Sarah, is very beautiful. And he thinks, well, if I'm her husband, then I'm an obstacle. If I'm her brother, then, you know, I'm an accessory. So why didn't I get her to say that she's my sister? She was his half-sister. Um, why didn't I get her to say that she's my sister? And then people will treat me well because of her. And so he does this, and Pharaoh takes Sarah into his house, and um, presumably the idea is for her to be added to his harem, and God has to step in and prevent anything from happening there. And they're sent away from Egypt in disgrace, but God has protected them. Despite Abraham's shameful behavior, God has protected them both. But God's faithfulness expands. This happens again in a place called Gerar, what later becomes the Philistines' land, and uh, the king there, Abimelech, again, likes the look of Sarah. And again, Abraham, not having learned his lesson, says, oh, yeah, she's my sister. And this time, we see God's faithfulness even more effective. Not only does he prevent Sarah in a dream, he gives Abimelech a dream and says, you know, you're as good as dead if you touch her. Um, it's what he says, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it? Um, not only does he do that, but he also gives them favor. They don't get sent away in disgrace this time. They get given land. He says, settle wherever you like in the land. And he makes a big payment to to Abraham as a kind of look, no hard feelings. God's blessing is firmly on them, it's expanded from that first event. One of the things you'll get as you read the story of Abraham, and I, I would encourage you to do this with this particular lens in mind, is God brings him back again and again to the same places, to the same situations, to the same choices. And each time he comes back, you see that God's faithfulness has expanded. And Abraham has normally, anyway, been changed in the process. So whether it's coming back to the same physical location, and he's just in a very different place spiritually, or he, you know, he's acquired certain things, whether it's just the fact that you come back again and again to covenant, and each time God is more generous, he shows this ongoing, expansive faithfulness. I'd say not only does God's faithfulness expand, but it far exceeds whatever Abraham could have expected. Now, this is a photo of the world's tallest man and the world's shortest man. It was for some anniversary, 90th anniversary of the Guinness Book of Records, I think. Um, So the chap on the right is from Nepal is 54 centimeters high. Um, And the chap on the left is eight foot something. I can't remember. It's about 8'10", I think. Um, And I like the way they put him next to Big Ben and he's nearly as tall as, but there you go. So just as his height exceeds the height of the chap from Nepal, um, God's faithfulness exceeds everything that Abraham expected, but also everything he gave up because Abraham did have to give up quite a lot in order to follow God. Just start at the beginning with the passage we read. Leave your father's house and go to the place I will show you. All his identity, Abraham's, Would have been bound up with where he was his name means exalted father you've got to assume he had some standing in that community and he left that it was a dangerous place to be living and you had protection from your relatives the people you lived with the fact that you were gathered in a city or he, he was living in either Ur or haran when god spoke to him about this so he was in some form of settlement and he left that identity and that protection to go and follow god Later on, when he and Lot are so blessed that they cannot exist in the same place because they have too much stuff, too many sheep, goats, whatever it was, um, they have to separate. And Abram says to Lot, you take whatever you want, and I'll go the other way. And Lot looks around and goes, yeah, I like the look of that Jordan Valley. That's pretty fertile. I think think I'll have that, actually. And he takes that land. Abram gives up the right to say, I want the best. And then there's another incident when um, Lot has actually got himself caught up in a battle that wasn't his own. He's living in the city of Sodom and um, five kings stand up against their rulers and and get overthrown by four other kings. It's this giant battle and Lot gets carried off as part of the plunder along with his family. Abram goes and rescues him and brings back everything. And so the kings come out and say, look, give us our people. You can keep the rest. You know, we just want our people back. And Abram says, no, you're not making me rich. God makes me rich. You can have it all. Apart from, it's worth saying, he gave a tenth of everything to this priest, Melchizedek, before he did that. So that was his first allegiance. But after that, he says, look, no one is making me rich other than God. He gives up all these things. What does God give him in return? That's, that's the 54 centimeter, what he gave up. What's the eight foot that God gives him? Greater status, for a start. He goes from being exalted father to being the father of many God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. That's a greater status. He leaves the place where he belonged, and God gives him the entire land, from Egypt to the Euphrates. Not only the entire land, but including the land that he gave up, saying to Lot, you can go and live there. God gives him all of that as well. And God gives him riches. In fact, we read every time of how his wealth increases. By the time of his son, Isaac, Isaac's wealth has increased so much that that city, Gerar, where um, he had the incident with his sister, they're scared of Isaac and they have to ask him to move away. They say, you've got too powerful and too wealthy for us. This entire settlement is dwarfed by Isaac's wealth. So God has given him greater riches. Even more than that, God has given him what he could not naturally have, children. God's faithfulness far exceeds what he could have hoped for, and what he gave up. Do you see why this is good news for Peleg? He's wondering, has God given up on us? No, God has expansive faithfulness. He's saying, you know, we've, we've lost Eden, that promise. And we're living in this fallen time, but God's faithfulness exceeds what he can expect. This is good news for Peleg. It's good news for Zoe as well. I've lost my back row. There we are. It's good news for Zoe because actually we still need God's faithfulness now. So how does this apply to to people today? Well, I think it's important to realize that along with expanding and exceeding, God's faithfulness endures. This couple here are Herbert and Zelmira Fisher. Any ideas what they're famous for? being married for a long time. Yeah, any guesses? They, they, they're the Guinness World Record holders, or they were at the time of their death, the longest marriage. Any shouts out how long that might have been? 81 years, a bit more? A bit under 88. It's 86 and a half years they were married. It's quite impressive, isn't it? Their, um, their comment, they were interviewed by, it was it Time Magazine, I think, and they, they said, divorce? No, we've never thought about divorce, but I never realized it'd be so long. <laughs> There you go. God's promises to Abraham are not 86 and a half year promises. They're still going strong today. And that makes it, what, about 4,000 years? And they're still going strong? So that's quite a big claim to make. But I want to dig into that. Because I believe that God's promises and his faithfulness do endure. So let's have a look at the promises. I will make your name great. Now, I doubt you'd heard of the name Peleg if you had it was probably filed away with a bunch of other names of oh yeah vaguely remember that's one of the patriarchs but abraham well that's a bit different isn't it i mean how many people honestly do we know around the globe who are roughly of that that pedigree that sort of that age and yet around the world probably two-thirds of the world would know the name of abraham in some form abrahamic religions cover a decent spread of the globe Even in some non-Abrahamic religions like Hinduism, the name of Abraham is still honored and revered. The name of Abraham is still great 4,000 years later. That's an enduring promise. The land, well, under the King Solomon, a few hundred years later, actually all the land from Egypt to the Euphrates did belong to the people of Israel. So there was a fulfillment of that. I might come back to that in a bit. And the other part of the blessing was that I will make you a blessing to nations. And there are definitely times when Israel as a nation was a blessing to other nations. Think about, for instance, stealing from Dave Perry's book. I can't remember if he used it two or three weeks ago when he spoke. Uh, Joseph, when he's taken to Egypt as a slave, raised up to be second in command in Egypt. And because of the God-given wisdom he has, Egypt doesn't run out of food. And in fact, people come to Egypt to be fed. Those nations have all been blessed through Israel, through Abraham's descendants. Likewise, when Solomon is king, and he has such great God-given wisdom that kings and queens come from other countries to sit under him and hear his wisdom, the first kind of wisdom seminar, if you like, and all those nations are blessed through the wisdom that they get from Solomon. We see Abraham's promise being fulfilled, being a blessing to bless others. But we do also need to understand what God meant when he spoke about Abraham's offspring. And Paul picks up on this in Romans 11. It's quite important that we we get our heads around this. So he talks about Abraham having a family tree. He talks about it as being an olive tree. And he says that actually Abraham's children, it's never been about ethnic descent, not really. He says that Abraham's children are children of faith. And as some people have been broken off Abraham's family tree because they have lacked faith so other people have been added in through faith and he talks about it in the context of having faith in Jesus he says that those who are natural ethnic descendants of Abraham can you know can remain in Abraham's tree but can be broken out if they lack faith and that those of us who are not of Jewish descent can be grafted in, even though we don't deserve it either, can be grafted in through faith in Jesus. And so these promises are worked out not only in Abraham's direct physical children, but in those who, through faith, are children of Abraham. And I think I would be fair in saying that Jesus' followers continue to be a blessing to nations today. I know that there's a good spread of nations represented here today. I know there's people here who have worked in numerous nations. I know that. Of the people who come from all over the globe to Oxford, many are blessed by the Christians here and sent out. One of Caroline's pet hates, and she used to be wound up about this when she was a, an RE teacher, it was one of her RE textbooks, had a question on Christians in society today. And they said, what do Christians do in society today to, to bless people? And the only example they gave was that some uh, people like to knit woolens for newborn babies <laughs> Which, it is fantastic if you do that. Fantastic, that's great. But that, that's ignoring such a huge amount of what Christians do because they love Jesus, isn't it? Uh, whether it's you know, fostering, whether it's education or healthcare, whatever it might be. Social reform, justice. I know there's many people here involved with things like just love or speak. So many different ways that people who follow Jesus are a blessing to the nations because they are following in the promises of Abraham. But there is a little bit of a problem, isn't there? Because we've still got this thing with the land. What happened to that promise? You know, I will give you all this land. What happened to that promise? Because neither ethnic Jews nor the grafted in faith children of Abraham possess all of that land. Well, I'd like us to turn, if we could, to Hebrews chapter 11, because we do have an answer here. So if you want to find verse 8, Hebrews eleven eight, and we'll start there. And I think what we'll see from this is that God's faithfulness really does endure. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, God's faithfulness doesn't just endure. It also gives us direction and it envisions us. Are those not the largest pair of binoculars you've ever seen? I think Jeremy Blakey would be uh, bird watching from 50 kilometers in those, wouldn't he? Um, God's faithfulness envisions us, it gives us that view beyond. And if we keep reading that passage from verse 13, all these people, he's referring not only to Abraham and his sons, but also a number of other people in this gallery of champions that we have in Hebrews 11, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, these promises to Abraham, they they were never meant to be wholly fulfilled in this life. We do see them fulfilled in, in patches here and there but they were never meant to be wholly fulfilled in this life. What this passage reminds us, and what it says, not only in retrospect, but it says that Abraham saw this in some regard, is that God wasn't just making him promises about a particular land or about children. He was promising him something of eternity, this heavenly city that he talks about. Abraham looked beyond the immediate fulfillment of the promises. And he lived, it says here, as a foreigner and a stranger on the earth because he was looking to the fact that God was promising him an eternity in a promised land where God lived. Let's go back to our, um, to our protagonists again, Peleg. You don't live in a world adrift, aimless, meaningless. You live in a world that is shaped And guided by firm and certain promises. Zoe, you don't live in a world that's adrift, aimless or meaningless. You live in a world that is shaped and guided by firm and certain promises. Those promises endure, they expand, they fill everything that we give them space to fill. You do see Abraham grow in that, don't you? You see him gradually trusting more, giving over more, and you see God's faithfulness expand in that. And he anchors himself to those promises increasingly. So how do we respond? I'd like to suggest that actually we have that same choice to respond as Abraham did. The first part of that is trust, isn't it? God calls Abraham to leave the country that he's part of and to trust him, and Abraham does. And then Abraham believes him. In fact, in in chapter 15 of Genesis, it has this phrase, Abraham trusted God, Abraham believed, and God credited it to him as righteousness. That phrase gets picked up a couple of times in the New Testament because it's absolutely key to understanding Abraham's life. God didn't credit him with righteousness because he was living a good life, in quotes, because he was doing the right stuff, God credited it to him as righteousness because he was living by faith. He was trusting God and responding to God with that trust and belief that we call faith. Well, given that God's promises are enduring, that response is still open to us today. I've got, there we go, nice nice photo there of, photo, painting even, of Abraham looking up at the stars. Um, We've got the opportunity to hear God's promises and respond with faith because they still endure today. As I've said, these promises are promises received because we're children of Abraham through faith. So there is that offer open to you. If you don't know Jesus, there is an offer open to you to say through faith in Jesus, I want to be grafted into Abraham's tree. and I want to receive those promises. Not just promises of blessing to be a blessing to others, but promises of an eternity in a land where God lives promises of an eternity that exceeds the perfect creation that was lost. I'd love to say more about how it works to put your faith in Jesus, how it works to be grafted into that family tree of Abraham's. Um, I don't want to preempt what will be said in the chapter on Jesus that's coming up shortly, but I will say if you feel aimless or meaningless or adrift you can know that sure and certain promise. And please come and talk to one of us at the end. I'll be around here very happy to talk. Likewise, Steve or one of the other leaders, come come and have a talk with somebody and let's talk that over because I believe that those promises are there for you and they endure to this day. I think the other way that we can respond to God's amazing faithfulness is through grateful celebration. Psalm 136 is a great example of this. Picking up on this faithfulness, you might remember it. It's the one that says, give thanks to the Lord our God. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God's Exactly. It goes on like this, doesn't it? You know, He made the sun to govern the day. And the moon to guard the night. You got it. Okay. This psalm, it goes on and on celebrating God's faithfulness. So let's do that ourselves as well just as Abraham was brought back again and again to these same sort of familiar situations, familiar places. I'm coming up to my uh, 33rd birthday. On my 30th birthday, God spoke very clearly to me three times in 24 hours about going from running an IT company to becoming employed by the church. And every birthday, it's been a chance for me to take stock and say, God has brought me on another year, and actually I'm closer to that call of God than I was. Um, this 33rd birthday coming up will mark very nearly the completion of that transition. Let's take the opportunity to look at these repeated moments in our life where God brings us back somewhere but has gone further with us, has shown his faithfulness more. And let's use that as an opportunity for gratitude. We can celebrate that because God has been faithful to us. Um, In just a minute, uh, the band are going to come up and sing a song um, that we can join in which celebrates God's faithfulness. So let's take a moment now, I'm just going to pray, let's take a moment to draw to mind the ways in which God has been faithful to us. And uh, if you haven't known that faithfulness, perhaps take this time to, um, to set in your heart that you want to know this God and his faithfulness. And then we're going to sing together as a way of responding. So Father God, I thank you that you have taken so many opportunities in the life of Abraham, in the life of so many others who come up in this story to show your faithfulness. God, I thank you that you have showed it in our lives. And I thank you that because you are through and through faithful, however we engage with you, we will see your faithfulness. God, we want to respond with gratitude. We want to be thankful for that. You are good and your love endures forever. God, I pray this wouldn't just be a revelation for now, but that we would live our lives in that gratitude, in that knowledge of your faithfulness. That it would shape how we reflect on ourselves, that it would shape how we think about the world you've created, and that it would shape how we speak to other people as well. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.